Today the readings from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And the heading is Unity and Maturity in the Body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you very much. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we um, come to your word, you might speak to us. Thank you, your word is living and active, and we pray that we might know that this morning as you speak to our minds and our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that having heard you speak, we would be obedient hearers for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this morning we're thinking about uh, Christian unity. And it's one of those things, isn't it, where uh, you kind of feel instinctively that we really ought to do this. uh, And we really ought to be interested in it. But it's a a, a little bit like losing weight, it seems to me. Uh, We all think it's a good thing, um, but there's no easy solution. And you've got to kind of keep on working on it. You can't just lose weight and that's it. Kind of job done forever. And it's the same with Christian unity. And um, uh, and today's the day of Pentecost. As Ben was explaining, it's uh, we're celebrating the Holy Spirit being given to the church. And every Christian has the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Every single one of us. In fact, as uh, the reading says there, beginning of verse 4, there is one body and one spirit. And you'd think, wouldn't you, that uh, if, the, if the Holy Spirit actually really does dwell in all genuine Christians, that uh, Christian unity ought to be an easy thing. To be one of the great, obvious, and easy results from the day of Pentecost. Uh, but actually, uh, the thing is, unity between Christians is, is somewhat difficult. Uh, and that's thinking about particularly unity within one particular church. That's what the Bible normally means by Christian unity. That's what we're thinking about this morning. Um, uh, of course, we'll be thinking slightly beyond that, unity between us uh, here at BH and Holy Cross and Goldstone. Um, and the Bible doesn't think, doesn't teach us very much about unity beyond that. So our focus is going to be uh, especially on unity within one particular church. Here. And as we look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 1 to 6, um, we're going to see uh, how we achieve, how that Christian unity is achieved, and how it's maintained. And we're going to see that actually unity is something which comes from God, and we are the ones who have to maintain it. So we're going to recognize two things. First of all, Christian unity, it's all about God. And then we're also going to see, second, that Christian unity is all about us. It's all about you and me. Uh, it's all about God because uh, there is no true unity without God. God brings Christian unity together 
because of his very nature. God is a unity. He is a tri-unity, a trinity. Three persons, diverse and yet perfectly united. And of course that means, isn't it, that um, uh, uh, if the God we worship is diverse and yet united, that actually is his people diverse, but we should be united too. And it also means there's something peculiarly wrong, peculiarly out of step, if God's people who worship a God who is diverse and yet united, there's something peculiarly odd and out of step if we are diverse, as we are, of course, but if we're not united as well. And so our role is to keep the unity which God gives through his Spirit. And so we're going to be thinking this morning about this, uh, about Christian unity. And we're going to be thinking uh, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, living together as one in perfect unity and the way that we want to reflect that. So the first thing to say we're going to be talking about this morning is uh, uh, that it's all about God. Christian unity is all about God. We're going to look at verses 4 to 6, and then we'll come back and look at verses 1 to 3. Now, that seems a bit back to front, but I think it's probably going to be easier that way. So look at verses 4 to 6, and look at the number of times the word one comes up. It comes up seven times. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. I think he's making a point. And uh, so one body, we are the body of Christ. You can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. One spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling in every single Christian believer. One hope that when Jesus returns or we die, a glorious eternity with Jesus in a new creation. That's one hope, one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, one faith in predominantly and focused on Jesus' death and resurrection, one baptism, one washing with water to signify the cleansing of our souls uh, when we believe and put our faith in Jesus, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one, and therefore in our unity we need to reflect that unity. So can you see that if we're, if we're disunited, if we're driven apart by factions and I want this or I want that and so on, that actually that is a real, real difficult thing. That's a big problem. If churches are, are disunited, that is a big problem. Because it goes against the very nature of the God that we believe in. Imagine a family. Uh, three sons, uh, always a bit rebellious, but in their late teenage years, they had a real falling out. And so now the three boys, one of them lives in Canada, one of them lives in South Africa, one of them lives over in Singapore. More than that, when they went, uh, they didn't leave an address. And they never contact their parents, and they've uh, changed their phone numbers and everything. There is no contact, no FaceTime, no messages, uh, nothing. Uh, their, their, their folks have no idea where they lived. And more than that, they even changed their surname. They said, we want to be, be shot from our past. We're going to start again. But they're still blood brothers. They're still related. There's still that DNA around there. Um, they've got the same genetic parents. 
their mum and their dad do actually still have three sons. It's just they have tragically no idea where they are. No idea where they are in this world. And nothing can change the fact that they still have three sons. Now, if you say were their cousin and you were still in touch with the parents and you were actually still in touch with the three boys, wouldn't you want in some way somehow to see if you could try and engineer some kind of meeting, some kind of reconciliation? But sometimes there's a very similar tragedy in the church. And sometimes in churches, within individual churches, you can see this tragedy of, of a huge disunity, a great split down the middle and so on. But actually underneath, underneath that, we have an unchangeable unity that is always there based on the unity of the Lord God, the Trinity of God. So we're not talking about uniformity. Uh, just go back a few weeks to Prince Philip's funeral, for instance, and the, uh, the, the armed forces there walking perfectly in step, all dressed identically and so on. Um, no, we're not talking about uniformity. Neither, at the other end of the spectrum, are we talking about a coalition or an agglomeration or an amalgamation kind of thing. No, we're talking about true unity of love at the deepest level, which reflects the unity of our God and is brought about by his spirit who lives in each one of us it's our birthday today and today Pentecost we celebrate our birthday the presence of the Holy Spirit given to us to bring us together one of his roles is to bring us together in a profound unity. And at some point today, why not pause and reflect and think and pray? You could do it, say, if you're at home during the uh, couple, two or three minutes that we uh, take to distribute the communion. We could do it at some other uh, points today, just to take the time to think that through and to pray that through and to thank God for this extraordinary unity, which is here in the church at the deepest level and which we must be ourselves and that's the second point uh, church unity christian unity it's all about god who brings it um but it's all about you it's all about you and uh, this is the first three verses here as a prisoner for the lord then i urge you to live life worthy of the calling you've received be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace well through the gospel and on the day of pentecost god was was creating something wonderfully new uh, not just a church he was creating a new humanity that's what we are the church is a new humanity a new society with new standards of living and here uh, we see a, a new agenda, if you like, for this new humanity, this extraordinary thing that's called the church. A new agenda designed to maintain this unity, which we have by definition because of our creation. So look at verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So we don't create church unity. We've just got to keep it. It's given to us by God through his spirit. We've got to keep it. And that's not easy because there are powerful forces at work 
which will be seeking to divide, to separate us. A devil, the devil wants to do all that he can. All that he can divide us one from another. Our sinful natures will work because we want to put ourselves first and not other people first and so on. Working to destroy our unity. So we need to work hard, as I says, and make every effort. We'll come back to that at the end. To maintain our unity. Or to put it the other way around. Think of the opposites of the, uh, the things you see in verse 2. So it says, be completely humble and gentle. Well, what if you're proud and a bit kind of arrogant and a bit rough and you're impatient and you don't put up with other people, you don't make every effort and you don't really love people? What's going to result from that? We will be divided. If we don't do this, guaranteed, sure as anything, we will be divided. So let's look at these in a little bit more detail. Uh, sin, our sin, will always separate, splinter, divide people. And it will divide us one from another unless we work on these things. So let's look at them. First of all, humility. Humility. Look at verse 2. Be completely humble. Uh, that's completely as in, in every way, at all times and in all places, in all situations and without exception. That's a tall order, isn't it? Many church divisions begin when people think about me, about my preferences, about my needs, about what I want, and so on. And uh, uh, and it, it, it's no it's no coincidence, is it, that sometimes those things can happen, say, over music, because we all have our own preferences and things for music. Of course, we do. <clears throat> And yeah, we may like heavy rock or we may like classical stuff or whatever, just naturally. And of course, that reflects what we like in church. But if we insist on our own, uh, our own desires and things there, then that's going to be very difficult. So it, naturally, music sometimes can be a, uh, a focus of, of these things. But let's, um, let's be humble. Let's sit on our ugly sense of entitlement. Let's submit ourselves to other people with respect and promote their best interests. You see, the trouble is, this word in the original, uh, in the ancient Greek word, humility was not prized at all. Humility was thought to be weak and hopeless. It was the, the crouching submissiveness of a slave. And so when it was first written in Ephesus, uh, when, they, they, when they would have read this, it said, be completely humble. No, we don't do that. We just don't do that. And Paul's saying, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. As Christian people, we are going to do that. We are going to be completely humble, as in completely humble. But it's still a bit countercultural today, isn't it? But we need to be. It's not your preferences. It's not your desires. You're going to be humble and put other people first. And make sure they have what they want. And we're not going to be grasping and we're not going to be saying, no, I must have my way. No, 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 no. We don't do that here. We just don't do that here. And then the next thing there is uh, meekness. Meekness. Now, um, uh, well, uh, in our Bibles it says gentle, but the word actually means meek. And meek is the um, being having the strength and power but deciding not to use it. It's a word that's used of a broken-in horse, for instance. 
they're meek. The Spanish for meek actually is mouso. And in South America, uh, if you go, say, down to Argentina, and they have a lot of people riding horses, doing the cattle and so on, don't they? And uh, and, uh, if you were going up to a horse and you wanted to know if it's been broken in uh, in South America, you would ask, well, in the Spanish-speaking parts of it, like Argentina, you'd ask if it was mouso. And, uh, uh, and that's actually what we need to be like as, as Christians. We need to have that strength which we will lay aside in meekness for the sake of other people. So we'll deal with others gently. We'll use encouragement and not bullying or coercion. It's setting a good example. It's we, not me. And it's you not me are you meek it's not being a doormat it is being gentle while being strong it's deciding not to use that strength for your advantage and you can see what happens in churches where people are strong and they use that strength for their own advantage what happens division are you meek be completely humble and gentle meek and then third be patient be patient Uh, and this links in with the next one as well Um, it says here uh, be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love and i guess sometimes we're just not awfully uh, it's easy not to be patient isn't it Someone wants to pray, God, grant me patience now. And, uh, um, but it's very easy to do that, isn't it? Um, but how about this for an in- illustration of patience? I'm sure this never really happened. It's an apocryphal story, Second World War. Um, Hitler, Mussolini, and Churchill met in Paris by a big pond which had carp in it, the fish. And um, they, they were negotiating about the future and what was going to happen. And, uh, uh, and Hitler claimed that Germany had already won the war. This is 1940. Mussolini agreed. And Churchill suggested another uh, track, tack rather. And he suggested, well, look, let's decide this. We'll have the, the first person to catch a carp from the ponds will be the one, uh, the leader of the country which has won the war. So uh, uh, um, Hitler pulled out his pistol from his, his uh, uh, holster, he fired into the pond and he missed. Mussolini jumped into the pond and sought to catch the carp with his bare hands and couldn't do it. Churchill picked up his teaspoon, cup, saucer, teaspoon, picked up a teaspoon and began taking out a little teaspoon of water. Uh, one by one by one and when asked why he said well it'll take a long time but we will win and patience is uh, is a huge christian virtue patience which wins through in the end patience is, is actually about self-control isn't it controlling yourself for ages that's especially when someone else is being irritating and blatantly wrong and then of course doesn't our sin get in there as well what a, what a handful we are. And church unity is, uh, is a difficult thing. And we so need to pray, don't we? That the Lord would grant us the strength and the humility to, keep, make, to take every effort and to be patient with one another. 
day by day, hour by hour, today maybe, that we would be patient with one another. And then there's some, which, which links them with the next one, which is uh, forbearance. Um, he says in verse 2, uh, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Or literally, it's putting up with each other. <laughs> putting up with each other. Sometimes you've just got to put up with people, haven't you? Sometimes you've just got to keep your mouth shut. And sometimes, or probably more than sometimes, it's not just when you're with them. Putting up with people actually continues. Putting up with people goes on to when you talk about them with other people. When you're, when you're, you're dying to say, to tell someone else how irritating and difficult they are. And you need to keep your mouth zipped then as well. If we're really going to you know, put up with people, then, uh, uh, then we w- really will take them to heart and we will not share the difficulties we have with others. We will share it with the Lord, but we won't do it with one another because we love them, because we care about their reputation within the church and so on. And while we're doing that, we need to be praying for them, don't we? But it, these things are often hard, and I find that hard. A number of times I've caught myself shouldn't do that and here in middle class hove i mean we don't struggle with violence and theft so much do we but we do struggle far more with being opinionated perhaps a bit oppressive perhaps not actually being really very meek being a bit domineering over ambitious perhaps for ourselves and our families or self-pitying well we're going to put up with each other in love so it's not just, it's not kind of, I'm going to put up with them. No, we're actually, we're going to put up with one another. And this is the, uh, the fifth thing, in love. So look at the end of verse 2 there. Um, bearing with one another in love, as in positively, smiling, loving people. Robert Browning said, take away love and our earth is a tomb. And love embraces the the first four here, really, doesn't it? So humility, meekness, patience, putting up with people. It's a crown and sum of all virtues. Gotta love people. And if you don't love God and if you don't love people, we're never going to be united, are we? And don't we want to be? Don't we want to keep it? I mean, Jesus was himself famously loving and he was... Famously humble and gentle and patient and did these, do these virtue, virtues and we become more like Jesus. So in church meetings, in our small groups, for instance, let others have the first word and let others have the last word as well. Over coffee, inside or out, um, ask of others before telling of yourself. Rejoice patiently when serving others. And that, of course, will include talking to new people. Because the heart of love is sacrificial service of them, as Jesus has showed us. But how about this? One Christmas day, there was an African woman came to give a sacrificial offering of thanksgiving. And these African Christians were were particularly poor. And uh, uh, the uh, lady missionary who received the offering was just astounded when she was given a little silver coin and so at the end of the service the missionary uh, uh, found the African woman and and asked where she got it from and the African uh, lady replied smiling 
Well, I went to the plantation in the next door village and I sold myself to them as a slave for the rest of my life. I wanted to give Jesus an offering which satisfies my heart. And she had brought the financial equivalent of her life. And she laid it down at the feet of her Lord. What an astonishing self-sacrifice. That is love. That's love for Jesus. Love him like that. And we'll love other people. And we can't help but be united if we all lived like that. Let's make every effort, and this is the last point, verse 3, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Or other versions have spare no effort. And it's a present continuous. So it's not just make every effort today, then you're done, that's okay. Christian unity sorted. (laughs) Of course not. It's not like that, is it? No, he's saying make every effort today, at the end of the service, this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, next week, next month, next year, until you join Jesus in glory. This implies someone in a hurry, someone with a passion. And uh, someone who's saying, look, this is important. This has to be done today and every day. And the unity of the Spirit, I want to keep the unity of the Spirit. And it's saying we need to do it, and we need to do it now. We need to do it every day, whatever it takes. And it isn't easy. And there's a whole world out there, a whole spiritual world out there, which is just trying to divide us and drive in wedges and and make us misunderstand each other and, and actually gripe and groan and grumble about each other and so on. But actually, we have the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit which God has given to us, which God has created in us, and which reflects the very nature of the Godhead. And so today, on our birthday, let's remember our Christian unity given to us by God through his spirit and which we need with his help. And we can only do it with his help to do everything that we can to keep this unity to be an example to the world, to encourage one another and to have a community here like no other. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the unity of the Spirit which you give us, you create in us, which reflects your unity. And so, Lord, we simply pray verses 2 and 3 that we would be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with each other in love, and that you would help us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace for your glory. Amen.